Howdy campers, it's Lauren Marie Taylor and you are listening to the Not The Final Girl Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to part two of my chat with Vincente DeSanti. Thanks for downloading and listening. Today, Vinny goes into more depth regarding Never Hike Alone 2, which will be released on Friday, October 13th, of course, of this year. No spoilers here, although he does hint at the plot and character motivations. I did have several technical difficulties with our Zoom switching computers and recording devices halfway through our chat. So I must apologize to you, my listening audience, and especially to Vinny for the uneven quality of this particular episode. Stick with me, guys. I'm figuring it out. Enough of my blabbering. Let's go. So when it comes to uh, your budget, you progressively raised more and more money as the Never Do This, Never Do That series continued. How did that help you realize creatively your filmmaking ideas? And how did that breathe more layers into your Jason and your other characters? Well, in terms of like vision and creativity, when I started to write, I understood what I could actually achieve. You know, a big idea. You know what I mean? Like big ideas, like being like, yeah, it'd be nice if I could set the camp on fire and (laughs) jump out the second story and fly down and lightning bolts and all this stuff well that's every time i write that the the budget goes yes and so i think what it is it's how do i look at the tools that i have in front of me and get the most bang for my buck and how do i make it feel bigger than it really is or you know with a little bit more money how do i get access to the things that really will make it feel like a big time production like going to a set or being able to rent out a location or go into sound stages I think that, that that's what it was. It was figuring out what I had at my disposal, mm-hmm. understand that this is the box that I could play in, and then writing to that box. And then within those pages, within those those walls, saying, here's what the scene is about, and here's how I make it interesting, and here's how I'm going to frame it, and then, you know, scouting those locations and literally going back and forth and scouting locations and rewriting the script, mm-hmm. fitting those locations, knowing that where each shot is going to go, and just trying to translate the movie that I'm watching in my head if I can imagine it happening in that space, understanding, really closing the gap between like the mental image that we create for our film and how that's actually achieved on set. And it's, it's a fun process because I let my imagination go wild mm-hmm. and then I sort of have to deconstruct it into, okay, this is actually how you make it made or you may have to say goodbye to this great idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On the page, you can do anything. Yes. But on set, how are you going to make this happen and so make it great and understanding, you know, how much that costs. So as you, start to build bigger and bigger budgets, well, that allows us to do more days. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can add longer stories, make stories longer. I can get more people out there. I have more time to tell the story rather than having to rush it along. You know, being able to afford a few more kills. So what's an interesting way to kill somebody? How do I, you know, design the sequence around an interesting kill, you know, make it interesting? And now this is something I don't get, I get to play with as often in previous versions of films. Mm-hmm. You know, Never Hike Alone, it was very much, I have one guy, how do I make it interesting? Well, I replace multiple kills with multiple stunts that would have killed characters in previous film. Um, you know, characters that ended up getting thrown out of the second story window and dying when you sort of know that you could fall off the roof of your house and survive, pretty yeah, easily yeah. survive. You might break a leg or do something, but it, it's not an instant kill. So to do that to a character, I think with Never Hike Alone, it was like, all right, my solution to not being able to do the traditional multi-kill thing is that I'm going to keep trying to kill this character and he's going to keep surviving. And that's what's going to be interesting. 
that he keeps getting up. He's sort of like Jason, no matter what you do to him. Right. He keeps getting up. And that's Jason's equal as far as like, uh, like in a battle. And I think each time as the filmmaker, especially an independent filmmaker, you've got to sort of understand, like once you understand what your weaknesses are, and you understand what would actually make it uninteresting and what is holding you back, those things that are holding you back are also, are also your answers to how do I overcome them. Mm-hmm. Because once you identify them, you know how to attack them and make them better. Well, yeah, I only have this. So that means I can do this. And so it, there's, that, I think, is, is for me, it's a, it's a very frustrating part of the process because it's very daunting to look at the things you don't have, you know, things you want to do and can achieve. But then using those hurdles as inspiration and motivation to do like, okay, but I'm still going to make it good. Mm-hmm. So how do I make this good for, you know, but like I said, like when you raise a little bit more money, you get to go. We get to have some fun. <laughs> we get to do some stuff. We can rent some things. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously, you're an outdoorsy kind of guy. And in these movies, what I noticed, uh, you have these beautiful, sweeping vistas of the wilderness. And But how do you edit all that wonderful stuff when you were filming it? You're like, oh, my God, this is great. Oh, my God, I love this. Let's make this a little bit longer. Let's do more sweeping vistas. And then you get into the editing room and you say, oh, shoot, I have to cut some of this down. I, I, don't, I don't want to part with any of it. How do you do that? Here's what you do. You watch it with all that stuff in there and it's unwatchable. Okay. You're like, <laughs> how many more Vista shots? You know, you know what I mean? Like, you got to go in there with a, a competitive lineup for each shot. Like, it should be like, mm, I could use either one of these. I could cut, I could cut probably... I, uh, like my editor said, I could cut you a 25-minute opening to Never Hike Alone 2 if you wanted to, with all the footage you guys got. Yeah. And I said, I know, but I want, you know, but we got different times of day, we got different things that are that are sort of, you know, for transitions and, you know, maybe artistic shots of things being overlaid over each other, things like that. So to have an abundance allows you to sort of really pick and choose. You don't get, like, stuck. You don't want to be stuck with a shot. Like, well, I need one shot and all I got left is this, then I guess that's what's going in. As soon as I shoot it, I'm done with it. I don't care what it took to get the shot. If it's not, like, if I got an edit that, like, tells the story and I feel like it's cinematic, it's interesting, it moves, and I'm not bored, mm-hmm. I don't need more stuff. I don't need to go get that beautiful shot just because it was beautiful. Yeah. You know, I can look at something and be like, let's try to work it in because it would be nice. But if that gets in the way of the flow of, the, of now what is becoming the editorial you know, version of the film... Then I will cut it right out. I mean, we had a scene in Never Hike Alone that it was our core scene. It's the first scene that we shot. It was beautifully shot. It did everything we wanted it to do in a scene. It was probably four or five shots. And along the way, we ended up sort of like willy-nilly picking up this other shot that sort of did everything that that shot did in one sweeping motion that made the camp look even bigger than it was before. And they were back-to-back in the edit, and I had to pick one. And I just went, I want this scope to be shot. Like, this is so cool. Like, like this, I'd rather have all this, like, atmosphere and stuff than, you know, than this thing that sort of feels, it slows us down. You know what I mean? So I had to, like, go of, like, this, you know, this, it's, it, we are, I think it's in one of our, um, it's on our YouTube. We listed in sort of the, the lost scenes. Okay. It's one of the lost scenes, the ones where he comes up on the stairs and kind of looks around. It's some of the early test flips that we did. We kind of figure out what this camp would look like. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it gets hard. I and mean, sometimes you don't want to lose things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Jason Rising Project, we had a term called deer guts, where they had a scene where they found some deer guts while walking through the forest. And mm-hmm. sort of asked them, I said, does this move the story along in any way? And are we seeing anything so fantastical? You know, we sort of went through the checklist of like, 
does it really belong? Yeah. And so when we decided that it didn't belong, our, our sh- like we would go watch a scene and we would turn to each other and be like, maybe we got a little deer gut here. Like, why don't we get rid of this? Gotcha. And so it became sort of a nice, you know, it kind of became this nice kind of mantra of like, okay, it's in the film for a reason, but we may not need it. So let's kiss it goodbye and see what happens. And honestly, the reward is when you're done doing all that, you're trimming all out all the deer guts and you come back and you watch it as it was a, you don't miss it. That's when you know you've made a good move. When you watch it and you don't miss it, you go, this this watch just got more enjoyable. I don't feel like I was sitting through an uncomfortable part of the movie that made me want to turn it off. I was just always engaged. And as you know, as a storyteller, you want an engaged audience. When you're telling a story, you want everyone leaning in. Rather than sort of like looking at the phone and kind of fidgeting around, like you, you know, you want everyone captivated. Never hike alone too. What can you tell us about it? Because it hasn't come out yet. It's coming out on... Friday the 13th in October. Yep. Thank you for that. What can you tell us about it without giving too much away? This is a big movie. Um, It's pretty cool. Uh, I'm very proud of my team. We were able to go up and sort of take all of the lessons from Never Hike Alone 1 and Never Hike in the Snow. Um, And, you know, all all those, I wish I would have, sort of from both of those movies and this time go into never act alone too sort of prepared to be like not that we don't don't have we always have those on project but we sort of were able to kind of get that much further ahead from the start we started off even further ahead we were able to get a lot of great footage um we're in the process of editing it right now and i'm just excited for people to just see the ending you know what i mean we've really been building towards you know elongating the story out, you know, even at the end of Never Hike Alone 1, you know, Jason walking off after the movies. The end of Never Hike in the Snow with wondering what happens to the deputy, what happens to this, you know, the, the kid, his mother, Rick, Tommy, what's going on in this world? Like, how are all these worlds sort of converging on each other? Yeah. And so, we were supposed to make this film in 2020. COVID. And the pandemic came along. Uh-huh. And then, we were supposed to make this film in 2022, and we had a schedule in there. And we were booked on the wrong dates. And when we went to go shift up a day, we couldn't get it. We sent our schedule into a slide all the way into 2023. And then a state of emergency happened in California with all this rain that we got. Oh, that's right. And, um, you know, all the snow and the snow caps and all this stuff that were melting in California and creating all these floods. Um, it was pretty devastating up there. It pushed our production back to even June of this year. So it's, for me, this has been a long time coming. Um, there's been a lot of patience tested, but we got everything. You know, I can't tell you how long these ideas have been sitting in my head. And I just couldn't wait to get them up on screen. And so I think that more than anything, I'm just so happy to finally be able to share this story with fans. And if they're fans of Never Hike Alone, Never Hike in the Snow, and they're really sort of captivated of where the story is going next, they're finally going to get that answer. And I think that that's sort of what I'm most excited about. It's like, this is where it's all moving towards. And it's a fun and wild ride. And for the first time, Tom is sort of the central figure of the oh, entire movie. Okay. He is, he drives the entire picture. He was on set. Um, we did 16 days on set. And he was on day, he was on set 15 and was a super trooper the entire time. Did everything we asked him, did, did a lot of his own stunts and, you know, went toe to toe with Jason, you know, for the final time, hopefully. Uh, ah, wait a minute. What does that mean? I'll just people are just gonna have to watch. I mean, I don't want to give it away who's gonna win, who's gonna lose, or okay. how this all kind of comes to an end. But I think for me, as a fan, 
I feel like when they undid the Tommy Jarvis saga by making a part seven and a part eight, mm-hmm. um, I sort of saw that as an opportunity to, you know, bring back Tommy and tell his story and sort of give him a chance to maybe reclose the book on Jason in a way, but it's also on his own sort of story as well, because here's this, you know, guy who's been obsessed with this character who never seems to die and can't seem to be found. His whole and life he's, he's been obsessed other. with him. Yeah, and yeah. he, you know, he feels like it's his fault that Jason got out in the first place, so he's still sort of, you know, after all these years, still living with the same baggage that he did in part six. And, you know, it's just kind of cool to, to see, I think for me, is like the storytelling aspect is to take the Never Hike Alone story. Mm-hmm. We got Tom involved, you know, in the first film, to see that these two stories were converging and our story was allowed to sort of kind of skim the wave of the actual Friday the 13th camp and franchise. And because we had Tom in there as, you know, a cornerstone of our storytelling devices that, you know, it had not legitimacy to it, the fact that it actually is official, but we could at least give it the appearance of legitimacy and get to play with it like in a world, you know, where they actually brought back Tom. This might be as close to you as you would have got to a studio-like storytelling feature because that's where I grew up with my storytelling chops. Like I've learned how to actually build films and just needed the opportunity to do it. And so this has sort of been a great opportunity for me to finally you know, put all these things that I've learned throughout my career. Yeah. And now I've been putting them together through the Lost on the Never Hike projects and the other projects that I've produced and directed. These are just opportunities for me to, to kind of showcase all of these wonderful lessons that I've learned from people that I've worked with over the years. I mean, everything that I know is something that's really special to me. It's like, I can think back to a time where I was sitting back in a meeting or, you know, I listened to somebody who had been doing it for years or like here, listen, sitting down listening to a story writers who worked with it, Walt Disney, talk about some of the idioms and things like that, that I used to say in the story, how they came up with story solved, things like that. And when you hear the real greats and like stories of like people who like do it at the highest level and how they do it and how like not a lot separates the decision-making process. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot more money involved mm-hmm. and there's a lot bigger audience involved. But if you, you know, still have the same goal of telling a good story, you know, the conversations and the challenges are always the same, no matter the size of the budget. So yeah. I think because I got really close to and got to spend a lot of time with you know people who are a lot smarter than I, I'm able to use their collective knowledge and sort of you know, use that as a hub as, as like my basis to step off and storytell. And I've always wanted to see that done for Friday the 13th mm-hmm. rather than like, okay, let's get another film out and let's just figure it out. Like somebody to go and be like, no, let's like, let's sit back and actually give Friday the 13th do and see that there's a lot of wonderful story elements that have come from the franchise that have been developed. You know, the lore that I take from is built on part one and part two and a lot of people really stuff. And, and, you know, sort of grounding it in that world and making it feel like these were real people in a real place. Bring Friday the 13th back to sort of a ground-based reality. Mm-hmm. Um, tell the story from that perspective. Tell the story of people who, you know, are dealing with, you know, an uncontrollable situation. I think it's kind of a cool uh, avenue to kind of approach it from and sort of take it in that way. So I'm excited for people to see, you know, finally, like, the full-fledged version mm-hmm. of, of what Never Hyper can be from the storytelling aspect now that we're using more of an ensemble cast approach. Before Never Hike Alone 2 comes out, do you recommend that people see the other two movies first or just yes. jump right um, in? No, you're going to want to watch the other two movies first. I mean, this is, I mean these were meant to be extensions off of each other. You know, especially from Never Hiking Snow, telling stories sort of from there. So you definitely don't want to revisit that. You have two options. You can rewatch the original films 
Um, but we've also something called the Ghost Cut, which is a, um, a presentation of the Never Hike Alone films presented like an anthology in chronological order. So the order actually starts with Disappear, a music video that takes place in 2004. Then there is Never Hike in the Snow, which takes place in January of 2017. And then there's Never Hike Alone, which takes place in the spring of 2017. And Never Hike Alone 2 also plays, takes place in the spring of 2017. It's both a crossover and direct follow-up to what um, what happens in Never Hike Alone 1, uh, carrying stories from Never Hike in the Snow and things like that. It's meant to be one long sort of saga of uh-huh. really Ghost Jason and his story throughout the entire sort of like adventure of like him still being in Crystal Lake, you know, all the way back in 2004, you know, after the many, many years of killing people throughout the 80s and 90s. Fans have been asking us a lot of questions over the years, and hopefully each one of them are answered by, by this film. I have to bring up your website, wompstumpfilms.com, and I have to tell everybody who's listening, it's like a playground for fans who love your work. Yeah, totally. Um, you can jump right to the YouTube as well. Okay. You know, we'll have most of the links on, on wompstumpfilms.com. You can read about us and our company. And then there's links that take you to Never Hike Alone and some other things to be produced. And then on that channel, if you keep going through the different playlists, uh-huh. uh, we have all sorts of things. I and mean, it's stuff that I've made even, you know, dating back to 2012, 2013, little stop motion videos of Jason Borton. It's all the way <laughs> to, you know, original productions like uh, Pathosis, which is directed by a good friend of mine, Austin Bonet. And we're going to have more content coming out. There's behind the scenes on, on Never Hike Alone mm-hmm. on there as well for both Never Hike Alone and Never Hike in Snow, gag reels, cut scenes, uh, all sorts of fun stuff. So definitely keep an eye out for, for you know, stuff on YouTube. And once we're done with Never Hike Alone too, that will be on there as well. Yeah, gag reels are always a lot of fun. Can you share one of those stories? Yeah, um, let's see. Uh, there's actually, in, in Never, Never Hike Alone has my favorite one. And as Andrew will tell it, like, I always, every time we go out to the woods to shoot, like, Kyle running through the full horse, like, he's just, like, running all day. I mean, he's doing sprints through the woods all day, running, jumping over things, doing all this stuff. So we had, like, lined up this shot, but we had been shooting in the middle of the winter, and there was snow across the ground. So I was like, all right, um, we're going to line up the shot, and, like, you'll run that way, and then, you know, we'll figure out how to, like, do this in the spring. Or, but just give me the shot so I can cut it into the, the previews. And we'll, you know, go from there. So Andrew starts running off and like, he always had this habit, like even when there was no snow ground, of like tripping and falling <laughs> all the time. He was always tripping and falling on sticks, rocks. Like every time we tried to film him running because he had the backpack that throw him off balance, like, he was always falling on his face. It happened all the time, <laughs> coming downhill. So he starts running. And I'm sitting right next to the camera, and I saw his foot, like, catch one of the pieces of snow, and I'm like, I think he's going down. And not a second later, his foot catches, and he just face plants, like, right into the snow. Like, I follow the camera laughing, like, the camera tips over because everything's laughing. And it's just sort of like, it, it's right at the end of the Never Hike Alone behind the scenes documentary. And I would say, like, that is sort of, like, what is going on behind the scenes. It's like, they're good friends trying to make something look really entertaining, but at the same time, we're having a lot of fun. What is something your colleagues would be surprised to know about you? Um, I mean, they've seen, like, basically everything. <laughs> you know, we've had to sleep in Airbnbs together, you know, couches and floors and cabins in the woods. Um, you know, we've been together in very intimate settings, uh, just really <laughs> sort of getting to know each other. You know, we're all pretty close, and... You know, we all know a lot about each other and our, each other's passions and things like that. Where do you see yourself in the future of the feature film world? Where do I want to be? I want to be a director. 
you know, I would love yeah. to be able to direct feature films, whether it's independent, whether it's studio, whether it's a TV series. Um, I love the process. I love the challenge of telling story. I love the process of telling story. It's something that I feel like I'm doing a lot of work to try and get there. So those, uh, that is my, my pursuit. But in the meantime, you know, it's just to continue finding out new, new ways to do this better. And, and you know, hopefully in a few years, I'm, you know, I'd love to be directing some original projects. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think that, you know, in the meantime, I'm looking forward to get, getting back out on set, talking to actors and understand what the actor's process is mm -hmm. to get on the set, deliver a certain performance. Mm -hmm. And when you get to be on set, you get to develop that personal relationship with people. Again, that's where you learn. Peel back those layers on people and say, teach me about your craft and the way that you approach it. So when I approach it from my perspective as a director or producer or a writer, I have some of that knowledge to help me get that. And, you know, help an actor like you who will benefit from this knowledge. We have a lot of things in common because I like to come from a place as an actor of preparedness. Before I put my foot on a set or put myself in a costume, a wardrobe, whatever, hair, makeup, I really need to know where I'm going from point A to point B, but then also be able to improvise. When you're shooting your movies, is there room for improvisation? Oh, I really, I mean, I, I'm definitely a, a director's writer. I'm very much like once I get on set, there's a lot of the times where like I'll get on set and I'd be like, what does that say? Oh, get rid of those three lines. Like we're, we're going to get rid of like, I don't need that to tell the story. And sometimes an actor will just approach something from the character and they'll say it in a very colloquial way. Or I look for that. I, I want my characters to be colloquial. I want them to speak in short. I don't want them to say the first name of their character 12 times in the process of a, of a scene. We, we rarely refer to each other by each other's names in, in real-life conversations. So we try to find clever ways to work that in. But for the most part, I try to give my, my actors the creative freedom to explore. And then when they wander off track too far, I just say, come back and you explore it, you sound what it sounds like, I don't feel like we're getting something out of that, or you may have discovered something. If you say that, they may mean this, and it may end up opening up. And those are the best kind of things you know. Like when you discover that on set, when you got, you got the blueprints, but then within the blueprints, you find something even better. And all of a sudden, you're writing the scene as you're going. You know, those are sometimes the best scenes in the movie because it's so spontaneous, everyone's yeah. working together. And it's not the idea of just one person, but now five or three or two minds working together. Yeah to improve it. And now all of a sudden it has that much brain power, it has that much forethought into it. And especially from a director's perspective, once you hand the characters over to the actors, it's there. When you're playing like a secondary or supporting role or anything like that, a lot of the times they're just people that are in scene and they can't just be a character or somebody standing behind a register or just having two or three scenes, but they, they have to have an entire life. And so when an actor runs off with a character like that, comes back to you with somebody who's a real fleshed out person, it just helps make scenes more natural. You know, you want to keep creating that mystique that this isn't all fake, that this isn't just a big magic trick that we're playing with lights and cameras and angles and lenses. It's that this is these are real people with real stories and you're watching and you're invested in their lives because there's something about them, you know, whether it's a friend or whether it's yourself or whether it's something that there's a real person. And that's the goal, I think, as far as the director and an actor relationship is to make sure that your actors' portrayals on screen are authentic. Yeah. Thank you for hanging out with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for dealing with my computer glitches here and there. I'm most appreciative for that. But most of all, well, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you, because I know that you're doing it through the injury and everything. So I, I really appreciate you taking your time. So uh, it's, really, it's really nice to just catch up. Yeah, it is. And I'll see you on the red carpet. Sure thing. <laughs> 
A heartfelt thank you to Vincente DeSanti for taking time out of his busy schedule to join us. After we were done, I asked him a funny question from my friend Tom Christie, and here it is. Would you ever think of doing a spoof with me in it called Never Hike in Brown Undies? To which Vinny replied, I'm sure I could come up with a scenario. For all of Vinny's past, present, and upcoming projects, you can go to wompstompfilms.com. And there you will find links to everything Vinny talked about, including his YouTube channel and all of his social media links. There's also a wee bit of time for you to head over to the Never Hike Alone 2 Indiegogo page and be a part of the campaign, as did I. There are lots of perks, including a very special raffle. You definitely want to check that out. I'll have all of the links, as usual, in the show notes. So thanks, everybody. And thank you especially to my Patreons for supporting this podcast. Aaron in Vermont, who is miserable with me about those damn Yankees, by the way. Chris in Texas, thanks for those sticker ideas, as well as Nick in Texas. So perhaps we'll all meet sometime in 2024. Tim in New Jersey, I'll see you at the Jersey Shore. And James in Rhode Island, gosh, I got to get back there and visit those amazing Gilded Age mansions up there. And in beautiful PA, home to one of my favorite historic theaters, the Colonial Theaters, where you could find the blob. And Tom in Baltimore, I gotta get down there and visit you on my way to visit my brother in Virginia and get some crab cakes. Check out my website, of course, laurenmarietaylor.com, which has links for how you can support the show. Thanks for listening, everybody. It's still summer, guys, so don't forget to keep your doors locked and stay out of the woods.